Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio and IU's radio TV building, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with WFIU and WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Indiana lawmakers took a step toward legalizing medical cannabis last Thursday by voting to study the issue further. We're going to discuss that issue and all sorts of other issues involving cannabis and cannabinoid oil uh, this week on Noon Edition. You can uh, join our guests by following us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And when you uh, give us a call or join us uh, via social media, you are going to be talking with our four guests, Bobby Joe Young, president and CEO of IndyCan, which is in Indianapolis. Jonathan Calkins is joining us by phone. He's a professor of operations research and public policy at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. State Representative Jim Lucas, who's a Republican from Seymour, is here with us in the studio, and so is Heather Bradshaw, who's an associate professor in the IU Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences and also president of the International Cannabinoid Research Society. So welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. I'm going to have uh, uh, Jim Lucas start. Uh, Representative Lucas, you've been active on this issue during this session of the legislature. So where do we stand now? Uh, we stand, I think, personal opinion farther than anybody ever dreamed of that Indiana would be in this position. When you look at just a few months ago, um, people throughout the industry, are, I think, are taken by complete shock that we've made this much progress. You know, just recently we passed... The, uh, the study of medical cannabis that came out of the House 94 to 0, which was unanimous. And then I had my House Bill 1137, which um, takes on the CBD issue that we're currently having right now in the state. And it not only, you know, takes care of the CBD issue, but it opens up a whole new agricultural economy and allows farmers to, to grow hemp and, you know, and utilize the byproducts of it. And the nice thing about that legislation is it is based and mimics the federal farm bill of 2014. Mm -hmm. So, and that made it out of committee unanimous 12-0 and just was voted out of the House 90 to zero. So when you look at all this, this unanimous decisions coming out of the House and heading over to the Senate, I mean, we, we're on a roll. I want to, want to set this up, too, because we, uh, we were talking right before the program. I'm going to ask Bobby Joe Young to talk about this. A lot of people refer to this as medical marijuana. It's sort of uh, marijuana has a stigma about it. It's really when we talk about how uh, when, Jim, you talk about how we're, the state's a lot further along than you thought it would be, the fact that marijuana is sort of attached to this uh, issue may be part of the reason. So. 
Bobby Joe, talk about the differences, why you don't like use of that word. Um, the use, the word marijuana, it's a slang term. It's improper English. If we want these legislators to take us seriously, if we want the state to take Jim seriously, we want to put our best foot forward and use proper terminology. We want to ensure that the public knows we have seek the education, therefore we use the proper language cannabis. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Heather, also, I mean, we, you were sort of mentioning this a little bit. You said, you know, when you read the bill and marijuana shows up in a bill or something, that it's kind of like fingers on a blackboard for you. Could you talk <laughs> about bit. the terminology again? Well, as Bobby pointed out, there's, the, there's a very negative history to the – it was really a propaganda term that happened in the 30s to associate it with um, uh, migrants from Mexico. Uh, to give it a sort of Mexican name, right? They just made it up as a propaganda. And it's just been normalized in our culture, and it has, but it still has this very negative connotation. And, um, but the, 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 before that, in the United States, it was called cannabis as well as around the world. And the International Cannabinoid Research Society, which been which has been in some form together for over four decades, and it was called the Cannabinoid Research Society because these compounds are from the cannabis plant. And so there's no mention of marijuana as a term for our scientific society because that's not a real term mm-hmm. um, in the in the context of the plant. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask Jonathan Calkins to uh, to weigh in from a you know you're outside of Indiana from so this this issue and these broader issues from a national perspective what what are you seeing? Well, there's a lot of things going on, but with respect to these either medical marijuana or medical cannabis laws, they come in many different flavors. Right, so some of them are very narrow and responsible. Some are very broad, even Trojan horses for legalization. So it's a topic, as is often the case, where it really matters about what the details are. Representative Lucas, do you see the action this year on these bills as it coming as a surprise to you? You've never had this in the past in Indiana, and all of a sudden for it to receive unanimous support. Oh, pleasantly surprised. I, I used to be indifferent on this topic, you know, leaning neither one way or the other. But after the state's experience with the, uh, the CBD embarrassment, that we're currently experiencing because the governor just had to extend another 60-day moratorium, you know, to take care of this. But that's when I started educating myself on, you know, exactly what is CBD and, and what's the history of it. And even though hemp CBD is what we're taking care of with one piece of legislation, it automatically leads you down the path to discover cannabis, you know, if you're truly interested in learning about it. And again, once you go into this, this issue with an open mind, and if you're willing to be intellectually honest with yourself, the the overwhelming evidence of the positive benefits that, that hemp, CBD, and cannabis, two completely different things, even though they are related, but what they can bring, you know, to the citizens of Indiana and throughout the nation as we're seeing that, I mean, it's, it's a moral issue to me. It's not a legal issue anymore. It's a moral issue because I've, I've talked to countless, you know, parents um, whose children or, you know, close family members have experienced the benefits of this without the debilitating side effects of, of many of the prescription medications that we're currently using. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a no-brainer. 
It, it really is just shocking to me, though, because look at CBD. Was it three years the bills were introduced before one was passed? And that's what's frustrating in Indianapolis. We move at the speed of government, and sometimes it's even slower than that, and it's very aggravating. Um, I, I, I'm small business owner for 18 years, Marine, veteran. I'm not used to taking time to solve problems. You know, you get in there and you roll up your sleeves and you fix it. You move on. But that's the way it is up there. But I think my style, um, I'm very, very aggressive and will continue to get even more aggressive on this issue because I am 100% convinced of, of the positive benefits of it. And even when you look at the benefits, obviously there's, there's a negative side to anything as well. But even the negative sides to it, you know, you, you physically cannot die from overdosing on cannabis or CBD. You know, that's one of the things I've learned. Maybe Heather can chime in here and, and explain the difference between CBD and then what we're talking about when we talk about medical cannabis. Okay, so CBD is um, a compound that is made in cannabis, in the cannabis plant, as well as hemp, which is why we have this um, this sort of loophole that we were able to uh, capitalize on in the in the cannabinoid field. So, but. The, the term cannabinoids are all compounds that can be isolated from the cannabis plant, okay? And there's lots of them, over 100. Um, THC is the most famous. It's the one that is absolutely associated with the high of cannabis use, um, as well as some of the other therapeutic um, aspects, such as pain relief in these The THC is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Has a, has a stronger um, relationship there. But CBD has um, a very different activity uh, in the body uh, than THC. So it's a, it's a completely different drug um, than THC. Well, I wanted to follow up because um, Representative Lucas talked about the CBD mess. I don't know what your term was for exactly for it. Uh, I have better terms for it. Yeah, right. But I, I know last year we did a show on, on the legislation that was going through on, on CBD. Uh, we had a, a mother of a child with epilepsy that talked about how this was something that was so important to her and her child to be able. And so, so what what happened? I mean, we got into a situation from where, you know, that passed, right? So her child could have access to that, and then all of a sudden, this was back in the news, and the uh, attorney general said, "Oh, you got to stop selling it now." Governor, I think the governor has basically extended or put a moratorium on that. So can you sort of explain that whole issue? Sure. It, uh, for me, it's, it's, you know, it was illegal. And, and we were criminalizing innocent Hoosiers for seeking a better quality of life, you know, with a product that mankind has used for thousands of years. So now for me, we go from a legal issue to a moral issue. And like Bastiat said, you know, uh, when, when law and morality contradict each other, the citizen has the cruel alternative of either losing you know, his respect for the law or his moral sense. So we have to, as a state, as a lawmaker, I didn't go up there to criminalize innocent people. You know, they're, they're merely wanting to make their lives better. And this is a commitment that I'm dedicated to, is to decriminalizing this product. I want, I want to ask Jonathan, just in terms of the research we have on cannabis, do, do you feel like we're at a point where we can make effective legislation? Yeah, you can make better legislation. There are other distinctions, though, that, that are important to make uh, when thinking about this, and that includes whether or not the product 
product in question is one that is manufactured in a way that's consistent enough to meet the good manufacturing practice requirements of any pharmaceutical. Right? So some cannabinoids are extracted, manufactured, say by GW Pharmaceutical, in a way that you get a consistent dose. A botanical, where you're just using parts of the plant, never meets that. So it's very important to distinguish whether you're talking about something that's a consistently manufactured pharmaceutical-grade derivative of the plant, or whether you're talking about the kind of stuff that is produced just by people growing the plant and using pieces of the plant. So how does that relate to states that have actually, uh, you know, legalized marijuana, I would say, or cannabis? Some states have legalized basically almost any product of the cannabis plant, including stuff that's almost indistinguishable from what would be used recreationally. And other states have had much more careful medical bills that are trying to treat it as if it were a pharmaceutical, albeit not FDA approved, but are trying to make something available that is treated like a medicine in the sense of demanding consistent manufacturing processes, a consistent dose. So the doctor is not just saying, take cannabis, but they're saying, take this very precise, known mix of these cannabinoids that are believed to have the effects that are desired. All right. Oh, we have a phone call uh, on, on our line, so I want to go to that uh, that caller before we get too much further in the program. So Velda is on the line. Velda? Excuse me. Yeah, my problem is that I am uh, an advocate for non-smokers' rights, and I just have the feeling that if marijuana is legalized, that we might be exposed to uh, the effects of it, whether we want it or not especially by way of smoking, smoking in public, even in private. Uh, I wonder if this problem is being addressed. Yeah, let's go to Bobby Bobby Um, first. I will say that smoking cannabis is outdated. It is old-fashioned. There are hundreds of ways to ingest medical cannabis other than smoking it. Um, also, scientists have proved scientifically you cannot have effects from secondhand smoke, per se, being in the room with someone smoking. Um, therefore, you're not going to absorb the effects if someone is medicating. But again, smoking is old fashioned. Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, well, actually, first of all, I think science shows exactly the opposite. The Dutch experiments where they put people in a room with people smoking a lot, you then did get the cannabinoids in the non-smokers' bodies. The point is that that was a very unusual circumstance with a lot of smoking in a confined space. But definitely there is a second in effect. But, no, there are states that don't allow smoking. Their medical bills just say flat out, this does not apply to any smoked form of the plant. And if you want to have it be an actual serious medical bill, then you very possibly want to say it does not allow the smoking, does not apply to that. Pennsylvania, for instance, is a state that does it that way. Mm-hmm. Jim, uh, Indiana's in no danger of passing a bill that would would allow cannabis to be smoked, is it? Mine would. Would it? Okay. Sure. I, mean, I, I mean, guess so. Because, well, well, smoking, that's, that's the, the, the most economical form. Okay. And, you know, and people... We ha- again, we ha- we're fighting eight decades of ignorance and stigma here, 
And, you know, just because you can smoke it doesn't mean everybody's going to light up out in public. But when you look, when you when the pro, the plant is processed and the buds are taking off the plant, if you stop right there, okay, and you don't have to process it or, or continue further along with it, you're saving money. And, and this is one thing, and, and I, Jonathan mentioned, you know, um, making sure that we deliver a clean product, which we can. Illinois is doing a very good job of that right now, of tracking and, uh, you know, meeting certain standards throughout the process, but we also have to be careful that this doesn't turn into big pharma, you know, where we regulate it so much that your your big players are the only ones capable of coming in providing this product. Mm-hmm. And But again, smoking, um, ingesting it through that manner is a very economical and beneficial um, way of getting it into your body, depending on what type of ailment it is that you're taking the product for. So with the current CBD bill, there's this registry that you have to be on to, to have CBD. Would we have something like that, or, or how do you distinguish? Oh, no, no, no. My, uh, with my, my legislation, House Bill 1137, completely eliminates the registration. So would there be a way to distinguish folks who are possessing it illegally versus people who are using it for medical use? THC or? content. That's how you would do it? Sure. Three-tenths percent. Again, this this my legislation is modeled after the Farm Bill. And what the federal government, you know, recognizes as a uh, an acceptable limit. How has the Indiana Prosecutors Association and, and groups like that responded? Uh, they're coming out against it, but you know we're seeing that in a lot of situations. Uh, my idea, or, or my responsibility, is is to my district and the people that voted me in to represent them, to go up there and do the right thing, regardless of all the uh, the, the chatter on the outside. Our phone numbers here are 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. If you have, uh, you know, if you have questions or comments, this is a great time to, to get your questions answered, um, such as you know, our last caller, Velda, had a, had a question that I think people were able to answer. I want to go back to Heather Bradshaw and, and ask about you know, some of the, the science, the, the research that's been done on cannabis and on cannabinoid, cannabinoids. And you know, in these different bills, like we keep talking about the THC and, and all that. I mean, what are things that people really need to know about this, these bills as they're going through the legislature in Indiana and other places? You know, what are sort of the uh, the myths and the things that people need to know? Um, well, since we only have about <laughs> half an hour, I will be very honest and say that that is not enough time to go over um, such a broad field. Okay. okay. And to be fair, the majority of us in the ICRS um, are basic researchers and clinicians that do basic research. And so we are really looking at these isolated compounds and how they work in the body. We do um, rely on our clinician friends, especially in Canada and Europe, where you can actually um, run trials with cannabis to see what kinds of of data that we're getting out of this so that we can try to have better avenues for study. What what types of strains that have uh, different compounds, they're called chemophores, the different real percentages of say THC to CBD to CBG and CBN, these other compounds that could have effects in the body. So um, we are 
we are still just trying to understand why does cannabis have effect A on this person with this disease and effect B on this person with this other disease. And and we really do, uh, the hypothesis is, is that it's because of all these different constituents that are in cannabis and different strains have different percentages of them. One of this, the big stories of CBD is understanding that. As, as, as CBD came up as one of these big hits of, of a compound from cannabis that um, has a lot of therapeutic potential. So we're, but we're still in our infancy and in understanding exactly how CBD works. But CBD um, as a, when we were, we were starting to do stories about it in the newspaper and, and I know there was a physician in Bloomington that was um, prescribing it to a lot of patients. And um, what were some of the uh, health effects that people were, were seeing from it? So um, it's one of those funny things. If you you know if you Google CBD and almost any disease right now, you're going to get some sort of effect. So it's um, if we we really like to have more controlled studies to be able to drill that down. Uh, one of the things that comes up over and over again that is supported by the preclinical data. When, we, when I say that, that's those of us in the in the in the basic science lab looking at things like immune response. Okay, so you you do an experiment where you make the immune system really react to something, and then you give it give your cells or your animals some CBD, and we see a reduction in that. So these diseases that have a component of sort of chronic inflammation might be um, this is where CBD might have some effect because simply because of its activity at these immune cells. Where, how it's doing that, we still, we're still trying to figure that out, but we do know that that's one thing. The other hand is what has been discussed here is this amazing data on, on childhood epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And it's just, just astounding in the last six years. Every year at the meeting, at the ICRS meeting, we get more and more amazing data on this. And I, w- so. I wish I could remember exactly the numbers, but the, the mother who was here last year talked about the number of seizures that her child had. 200 you know, a day. A she day, went from 200 right. a day down to two. Yeah. I met with her yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it was a quite an amazing it's, effect. It's definitely working on something. We yeah. just don't know exactly what yet. We did the documentary, and, and and the thing was, like, like I think it's what you, I don't remember. I think it was you... Um, we're talking about how it's so much, it's very difficult to dose, though, I think like you were saying, because you can go to GNC and get something, but that's not the same as... Jonathan made an excellent point on that, is that um, I I can see all sides here, but uh, as a a parent as well, I would love to be able to know that I'm giving the exact milligrams, you know, if if I were giving my child a drug of any kind, I want to know exactly how much that they're getting. Let's go to Jonathan and first. You can with CBD, or you will be very soon, right? Because GW Pharmaceutical Company, right. an honest goodness pharmaceutical company, is in uh, phase three clinical trials, as far as I understand. They've been going very mm-hmm. well. I think we expect FDA approval not too far in the future for CBD and for these indications of, of seizures. So there's really no need to get uh sort of a botanical or plant product for CBD, you're going to have an honest-to-goodness controlled pharmaceutical for those childhood epilepsy kind of applications uh, probably very soon. 
if, if those individuals have health care and insurance and these sorts of things, quite frankly. Well, and from the folks we talked to, and maybe you can talk about this, Representative Lucas, they, they oh, at least one of the families, said that the epidiolics didn't work as well for whatever reason well, as the plant. Sure, and, and that's, and I, with all due respect, that's one of the biggest battles we're going to see as this issue moves forward is big pharma. You know, what will that pill cost? once you know it goes through the process whereas we have a plant-based product again that mankind has been using for thousands of years we have experts out in the field they might not have their degrees but they can tell you hey i can start your child off this is what's been proven to work it's a safe alternative let's start them off here and then we'll dial it in just like doctors do with medication today please let me finish but then we can continue with that and or we can go down the path where big pharma comes in and runs over everybody, and next thing you know, we have medication we can't afford. But as long as we're knowing and we put in place legislation that guarantees that these products are grown safely and distributed you know, within a reasonable process, I, I think this is an excellent opportunity to bring a viable alternative competitor to big pharma. Go ahead, Jonathan. Sure, it's just not right that it's been proved. Proved in, the def- in, in terms of medicine, the touchstone for that is, has it gone through the sort of clinical trials that the FDA requires? The product from the pharmaceutical company has, the botanicals have not. They've not gone through those sorts of clinical trials. And those botanical products would not even meet the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requirements. If we took cannabis off the Controlled Substances Act today, the botanical products would still not be legal to administer as a drug under federal law because federal law requires quality control standards for medicine. And the botanical products are the things like you would get at GNC, Fresh Time. But what we're seeing, though, is, is that parent was trying the FDA-approved medication with side effects that can destroy internal organs. Um, we're seeing medication out there that may cause thoughts of suicide. Or, you know, you can try this other product that other states are using and, you know, gee, it took my child from 200 seizures a day down to two and she's functional and healthy and no long-term side effects compared to the pharmaceutical grade. Jonathan, I'm going to get your response to that after we take a short break, but we're, we're at the bottom of the hour and we need to take a, a really quick break. Uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We will be right back. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. 
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about uh, medical cannabis today on Noon Edition, and we have four guests. Three are in the studio, and one's joining us by phone. Joining us by uh, phone is Jonathan Calkins, Professor of Operations, Research, and Public Policy at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Here in the studio, we have Heather Bradshaw, Associate Professor in the IU Department of Psychological and Brain Scientists and the President of the International Cannabinoid Research Society, Representative Jim Lucas, a Republican from Seymour from the Indiana State uh, General Assembly, and also Bobby Joe Young, the President and CEO of IndyCan from Indianapolis. If you want to join us on the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Jonathan Calkins, I think you were starting to make a point before we took our break. Yeah, just what sort of evidence do you believe when evaluating medicines? I trust serious clinical trials over anecdote as the basis for assessing safety and efficacy. Many quack medicines over the years have garnered enthusiastic testimonials. That's not a sufficient evidence base, in my view. Okay. Heather, can you chime in and just talk about some of the research that is available? We've talked a little bit about the study with kids with Dravet syndrome and mm-hmm. epilepsy. But how difficult is this to study? Also, I guess it's two parts um, because mm-hmm. of the research that is not available. Right. So you you really yeah, nailed it. It's very, it, especially in the U.S., uh, as a Schedule One um, substance, anything from cannabis. Right is considered schedule one so it makes it really challenging to to perform certain clinical trials and so as john pointed out um gw pharmaceuticals has done a tremendous amount of science uh, to validate um, how cbd is is functioning in these in these cases and that's really important um, to have that basic science because um, the kinds of things that they had to do to, to just keep trying to to get approvals to do this here in the US was was uh, amazing so we can't discount that right that's just been just uh, a um, a gift to the scientific community here because it is incredibly difficult to to do human trials with with the schedule one drugs mm-hmm. so would would legaliz- a lot of states are moving in the direction of legalization does that make it any easier or is it really going to take the states putting pressure on the federal government um, it is going to make it much more accessible and it already has there are some groups in Colorado that are doing some really um, interesting and important work for uh, to understand what what the effects on uh, long-term health and short-term health are for cannabis use because they um, can have people who just volunteer to do this because they're making a choice to use um, these drugs just like here we have a lab at IU that studies um, how alcohol affects people but because it's legal right we can get um, great 
subjects, plenty of them, and and study how the physiology works, right? So um, in these states that have legalized it, we are getting data. We're actually um, trying to understand, we're we're able to understand that. Where, Where it's not, we can't in the same way. Representative Lucas, you look like you wanted to. Oh, yes, I'm chomping at the bit here. Um, Israel is is a global leader in cannabis research. And actually, it was uh, Israel that discovered the endocannabinoid system back in the early 90s. You know, they're not restricted by the, uh, the, the shackles that we put on our researchers over here. You know, when, when you look that uh, cannabis is a Schedule One drug, which means basically very limited, if any, study. But yet, methadone, fentanyl, oxycontin, morphine, codeine—they're Schedule Two. You know, we know these. You can you can die from overdose on those. You cannot die from an overdose on cannabis. I I took a tour of a, a facility in Illinois, and they had uh, about a 12-inch jar of raw, pure, refined THC. And I asked, you know, I asked the scientist there. I said, "Can I die if I drink some of that?" And they laughed. I said, "No, you can drink the whole jar. You're going to have a bad day." But you're not going to die from it, you know. And and this is one of the things again. And we have 29 states that have decriminalized cannabis for uh, for therapeutic benefits, and they are incubators for research. And we have some leading people in the world over here that have scientific data of the proof of the benefits of it. And Eli Lilly, I believe, was the grandson, did his. Uh, thesis, his doctoral thesis on cannabis in 1907. So we could get back into the research if if we unshackle, you know, people like uh, Professor Bradshaw next to me and, and let them do what they're really good at. But it, it's people such as myself that tie their hands. And, and this is something that I'm working to to change. I wanted to ask Bobby Joe Young what, what your organization, you know, is and does. Um, we are an organization that we are working solely to move this movement forward. We, I've specifically been working with Jim Lucas. I helped him go to Illinois, you know, and in providing the education. Um, I want to touch on something that we've all been talking about. And I want every listener to realize this is a 20-plus-year-old industry in the United States. Proposition 215 passed in 1996, November 5th in the state of California. 20 plus years of research on the grounds in the United States of America. Dr. Sue Sisley out of Arizona, she works with vets. She tests specifically psyche, the brain, all those kind of things. We have epileptic research. The research is here. It is just being completely overshadows by companies like GW Pharmaceuticals, like Eli Lilly. Those big guys, they're jumping the bit. Their research is great. It's very validated. I'm not saying that. However, what I'm saying is the research done in America should be validated. It's there. It exists. It's just refusing to be heard. I want to bring Jonathan uh, Calkins back in from Carnegie Mellon. Any reaction to, to that? I mean, there's a lot of research that's been done, but there are ways of doing research that are rigorous, and there are ways of doing research that are vulnerable to reaching wrong conclusions. THC is a dependence-inducing intoxicant. If you gave it to a healthy person who hadn't been using it before, they're going to feel better in some sense after they get it. 
If they take it daily for six months or a year and then you take it away, they'll feel worse. Essentially, the individual case reports of people saying, I felt better after I started to use it, I felt worse after I stopped, are really not persuasive for a psychoactive substance. There are other forms of research like randomized clinical trials that are really what you need to avoid getting seduced into wrong conclusions. There's far less of that that's been done for cannabis products and especially far less of that that's been done for botanicals as opposed to the purified cannabinoids. We have a, a question that came in um, over our from social media. Sarah from Bloomington asks, how difficult is it for people to become involved in clinical trials? Who need it for medication. There's an asterisk. Oh, yeah. People <laughs> who need medication. Do we have an answer to that? I would say very difficult considering the state of Indiana currently does not have a study. And I would like you to point out a study to me that exists in any way around us at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Our, yeah, John... The GW Pharmaceuticals trial has been made open so that kids who can affiliate with the medical center can join it even if they weren't part of the original study group because the results have gone so well so far that they wanted to make it open in that way. And I, I think, yes, that's absolutely true. But there, I, I get the impression from this question that it's probably not it, – it's likely not childhood epilepsy that they're talking about. Right. They're probably talking about – chronic pain or PTSD, some, yeah, PTSD yeah. some some other um, d- disease or pathophysiology that uh, they have been told that they might have some effect with cannabis and so this is this is the issue I mean I'm I'm certainly in agreement that we need to have really good clinical trials I was how these things work sorry I, I was in or I was contacted by the uh, the epilepsy foundation from the state and national organization I have their full support and endorsement in continuing down my path to legalize this product mm-hmm. all right our phone numbers again 812-855-0811 or toll free 1-877-285-9348 you can also send questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Uh, Representative Lucas, I wanted to ask, you know, usually when there, there are changes in the law and um, products are becoming, um, any new products are becoming legalized or, or whatnot, is there a financial incentive for the state to do this? Would there be, uh, you know, regulations? Would there be taxes that might come into the state? Hey. I, I hate looking at it that way because the state should not exist to profit off of its citizens. But to enact a, a program like this, if you can make it self-sustaining, sure. You know, if we could help people out that are addictive or, or have issues or education, you know, other states are doing that. I'm Again, I'm going at this from the moral issue. Um, we We need to not put up barriers to products that people are finding relief from. And that, you know, again, this is a natural product that's been used for thousands of years. My legislation actually recognized the, you know, it made it legal for people to grow their own up to a certain limit for for personal consumption. We're seeing that around many states. Um, We know that this works. Now, you know, whether if somebody takes something that makes them feel better, you know, How's that not a positive thing? Yeah, and, uh, and I, I'm not questioning that or, or sure. the I just wonder: is, is there? I mean, in doing something like you're trying to do, is is there a financial 
element to this. That is, you know, alcohol is legal in the state of Indiana, but there are places where the state has to spend some money to monitor, you know, alcohol use. Sure. Are there some? Absolutely. And, and there, yes, to answer your question to the point, yes, there is. Uh, I'm not doing it for the financial aspect of it, but when you look around, the, the taxes that are, are brought in from it are, some states are astronomical. You know, but again, the the more that you tax something, the more unaffordable you make it. And there's a there's a happy a sweet spot there, fine line that you have to be aware of going into it when you're making legislation. Okay. Let's go to Wendy. She's on the line from Bloomington and this was something we were talking about a little earlier, quality control of C B D products. Wendy, go ahead. Hi. I'm um wanting to know how you can uh verify whether products have been tested for pesticides and heavy metals in the content of the earth or the plants or the product. All right. Very easy. Uh, I toured the uh, cultivation facility in Illinois that was state approved, and from the, the very moment a plant was created, it had a barcode, that, and once a barcode was generated, that information went instantly into the state database, which the state could come in at any time and say, show me plant 94. And every plant, every part of that plant was sent out to an independent third-party laboratory for verification to check on compounds, pesticides, um, anything that might be a particular um, harm you know, to that product. And not only that, but the facility itself had an in-house testing facility because they wanted to ensure the quality of their product. And from seed to sale, Everything was monitored, and I've seen this with my own eyes, and I know that that system is available, and that w- that system was created um, by the private industry. You know, these people want to put out a good product because quality, that's what can make or break you, especially when you're dealing with people's health and, and a substance that's being ingested. Heather, Heather do you want to add to that? So um, a paper came out, uh, I believe, November, December last year, um, doing something that I did um, myself in my own lab uh, when CBD was legal for such a short time that we, you could just go and buy these products. And so I, I bought the products and I did my own extractions and looked at CBD in my lab to see how consistent are these products. And interestingly, there, there was variability, right? Um, all of them had CBD. So none of the products that I looked at didn't have CBD. They just seemed to have some variability on how much that was. And this goes back to this regulation. It would be nice to have a, a, a better um, way to know if, if you're saying you've got 500 milligrams of CBD oil in this, in this vial, is that really how much is in there? And so um, that kind of regulation, but I think that the, the caller is really is important, and I'm, and I'm really happy to hear um, Representative Lucas uh, talk about the kinds of ways in which these um, plants can be regulated, basically. So it is going to take, it's going to take regulation, and it's going to take checks and balances to make sure these things are, are healthy for, for our uh, populace. Okay. Jonathan, could you talk a little bit about other states that you think are doing a good job? You know, we're just sort of dipping our toe in this now, and certainly the CBD registry hasn't gone as smoothly as, I'll just say, some might have might have liked. So any recommendations from you? I don't want to try to pick particular states, but broadly speaking, the states east of the Mississippi that have been creating these laws and more recently are making sincere efforts to provide 
medical help. The states west of the Mississippi and the states that were early were mostly using it as a tactic for trying to create availability to people who were either using it for purely recreational, in addition to medical use, using it also for purely recreational use and also for a sort of a vague or general wellness use. But I think there's, there's three bins. There's somebody who has a very specific condition like epilepsy. Then at the other end, there's people who use it recreationally. And there's an area in between of people who are just using it in a wellness way to feel better overall from general aches and pains and anxieties of life. And uh, what you want to use as your model is the states that are trying to target that first specific market. All right. Our phone numbers for the last eight minutes of the show. If you have a question and want to get it in, uh, now's the time. 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also uh, send us your question to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Representative Lucas, where does your bill and your interest fit into those three, that three layers that uh, Jonathan gave us? Well, I'd say the. Obviously, I've learned something now. You've got to be careful about medical because that throws you up into a whole different um, hornet's nest there. But this is that's what I am pursuing is, is the medical aspect, and which I think – I don't know how you would separate from the wellness. Um, people take vitamins. You know, they, uh, they take all kinds of things to make them feel better. I, you know, I drink a lot of coffee in the morning to get me going. Okay, would, do, I, do I need a pill for that, which they make? You know, the pharmacy makes pills for that, but can have debilitating side effects as well. Or, you know, could I have access to a natural plant that might do the same thing with significantly less side effects and significantly more affordable? Mm-hmm. So it's – I don't want to get caught down in the syntax of this, you know, uh, but moving forward, this is something that I will continue to pursue with, with everything I have. Um, educate myself and those around me, fellow colleagues, and make this available to Hoosiers. So what is your destination? I mean, we're, we're on the journey now, so where do you hope we end up? Well, I want to make it where innocent people aren't criminalized for taking a natural product that makes them feel better. Mm-hmm. That's about, you know, as simple as I can make it. And the challenge is, is overcoming, like I said earlier, eight decades of st- stigma and ignorance on this plant. You know, we've been using it for thousands of years. Other states are doing it. Um, We're seeing the popularity of this, especially among millennials and other people that are fed up with, you know, some of our laws that don't make sense. You know, is CBD legal? Is it illegal? You know, that's an embarrassment. But um, this polls very, very well. And the states that are implementing it, you look at the states around the nation that have this on their ballot to go to recreational. I mean, you can't ignore that. I know some President Trump has been critical of of this and said, you know, he thinks this is the wrong direction to be going when the country is dealing with an opioid addiction epidemic. So I would I would like to get your response to that because I don't think anyone can oh. deny the opioid issue and can are the two connected? Opioids are prescription, right? Which means they're heavily controlled, you know, and they're a pharmaceutical product and we have an opioid epidemic that's killed 64,000 people this year. Okay? Or um, we can acknowledge the fact that you can go into almost any middle school in America and buy not just marijuana, but prescription drugs, heroin, and other drugs like that. Now, I'm not saying throw in the towel and, and just legalize everything, 
But we have to acknowledge that there, I think there is a compromise to be made when it comes to um, items that we consider drugs. Is, is marijuana, should it be on the Schedule One, you know, list? No. Personally, I, I say no because we know of the benefits. We, we've seen it. It's been proven. You talk to the mother whose child went from 200 seizures a day down to two. Tell her that what she's doing is wrong. And, hey, if you continue doing that, we're going to lock you in a cage. You know, I can't do that. And those are the people I'm going to be fighting for and will continue to fight for. And to bring common sense, you know, through education, uh, talking to people like Professor Bradshaw here, helping educate my colleagues, and that way we can get a better understanding of it and move forward. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, and, you know, again, we use the word, uh, I think you slipped and used the word marijuana instead of cannabis. I'm still learning. Yeah, right, right. But just to clarify, I mean, it sounds like, and, you know, Representative Lucas, you talk about how, you know, it's a product, you want to make it, it, it makes people feel better. I mean, that sounds a lot like you're moving toward just, you know, recreational use or anything else. Of No, I'm just being honest. I mean, I, I go home, I enjoy a couple glasses of wine. You know, uh, two's my limit because three generally leads to four, and four means a bad day the next day. Okay, what's the difference? You know, and again, I'm not pushing for this. I'm being realistic going into this conversation because it will lead there. And we're adults. We have to have this conversation. But you talk to any police officer, who would they rather deal with? You know, somebody that's been in a bar all night or somebody that's had a, you know, a couple of hits of, of cannabis. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Jonathan Calkins, I want to bring you back on. So, you know, you've been listening here. And it's 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 interesting when you're not in the studio and everybody else is. It puts you in a little different perspective. Uh, I just want to get your last thoughts about things that you've been hearing, the direction that the Representative Lucas uh, is uh, asking that Indiana go. What Are there any, uh, any red flags here or? Yeah, I'll just agree with the previous statement that it's very easy for any action liberalizing cannabis to slide into liberalizing it for recreational use because that's where the big market is. That's where the big money is going to be made. So you can make a discrete choice. If you actually want to do this for medical reasons, then you have to work really hard to keep it focused. If what you really want to do is legalize it for recreational purposes, then that's that's a different choice. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but What's a little bit dishonest is to say that it's medical, but to set up the medical in a way that allows it to slide into being that other thing. Because there's a great force that will push you in that direction, because there's a lot of money to be made by serving the much larger recreational market. And there's a lot of companies that are going to want to try to use the medical wedge to get at that uh, bigger revenue stream. All right, Heather Bradshaw, we have one minute. Okay. You get the last word. My, my only comment is is that I, I don't see those things as mutually exclusive. I don't see that a community can really want to harness what's in cannabis to help with medical needs and also want to have a community that has this uh, legalization of, of the plant itself in terms of people not being afraid that they are going to go to jail because they have grown a plant or, or, or done this. But I think that I don't really see those things as mutually exclusive. Um, I don't think that as a scientific community and as humanists, we have to choose.
All right. Thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. I want to thank Bobby Joe Young, Jonathan Calkins, Representative Jim Lucas, and Heather Bradshaw for being with us today. For Angelo Batista, uh, Mike Pashkash, and Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.